where basically all of the tenant complaints or, or any issues with the prop, the community managers that live on site go to that person. And then if it's something serious, you know, because that person's already trained, they understand what our expectations are in front in terms of, you know, in the event there's this tenant issue, she knows how to respond back to that other community manager. So it doesn't have to really come back to us. I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Welcome back, Contrarian Cashflow. Today, I've got two dudes with me, not just one. I got a perfect shot and Jack Yen. What is going on, guys? Hey, thank you so much for having us, John. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, so I have the good fortune of knowing these guys pretty well personally, uh, not too far from me here in the Raleigh-Durham area. But for folks that don't know, so Jack and Aperva are the principals of Jay's Properties, a real estate investment firm here uh, in the Southeast, primarily North Carolina. Perva is an electrical engineer by trade, an aspiring and successful mobile home park and real estate investor. And Jack recently left his corporate career as a data scientist. Uh, he's got two daughters. And, uh, and not only that, he's a real estate investor as well going more the mobile home park path, but as a portfolio of apartments and single family homes. So dudes, what are you guys working on right now? Yeah. So John, definitely thank you for having us. What we're working on now, I mean, for us, we're in acquisition mode, right? Over the past year, we've been, you know, slowly acquiring mobile home parks, apartment complexes, diversifying our portfolio in the sense that, you know, we both from Jack and I's perspective, we came from single family homes. For me, it was flipping and wholesaling. Jack was in the single family rental business. And we said, okay, well, you know, why don't we team up? Let's let's build a portfolio based on, you know, class C apartments, class C and, and affordable housing. For us, it's near, near and dear. You know, we came from nothing. We we wanted to kind of build and, and create this business while also giving back. So for us, you know, uh, at this point, you know, we've gotten, we're, we're blessed to get to a spot where we're just continuing to acquire, we're, we're onboarding more investors, syndicating more capital and, and just go, going at it and trying to find more deals. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. That's exciting. And Jack, I know you have a pretty exciting, uh, just left your corporate career data scientist, right? I mean, when everybody thinks about it, that's one of the top, you know, careers out there. So, so what's going on with you, man? I mean, that's a, that's a pretty exciting new endeavor you're in, embarking on. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I think that, you know, the the book Rich Dad Poor Dad has such a big impact on my kind of personal life and my mindset. So kind of my real estate journey has been kind of follow that philosophy. Like my goal, you know, many years ago when I read a book was, you know, kind of get away from my W2 job, get into the right side of the column of the kind of cash flow quadrant, become an investor. Um, so that has been something I tried to do, but I, I, I feel like it wasn't until I met a Perva that formed that partnership, I start realized that's, that, that's something I can do it. Like before, I, I feel like that's just very difficult, you know, that because like you said, kind of stepping away from your kind of high paying job is usually always very difficult, but kind of that 
partnership, that passion, that you have someone that you can rely on each other, that's definitely putting me into a uh, much better uh, position to be to do something I wanted. <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, and I mean, you guys are all, you know, all prissy and dressed up now, but uh, you guys are grinders, man. I mean, that's one of the things I respect the most about you guys. I mean, you guys are really willing to get out there, get your hands dirty, you know, especially in the mobile home park space. You know, it's a little bit different than, you know, I think people kind of have glamorized it a little bit, but I mean, I know you guys are out there at the parks, you know, doing a lot of this operation, working with the community managers. You know, I think people glamorize a lot of these circumstances and, you know, you really have to have the aptitude and the personality and the willingness to really get in there. And, you know, I know you were just talking about doing some direct mail for some, some smaller multifamily deals as well. So, you know, I, I always have a soft spot in my heart for people that are, are you know, hustling, trying to get deals creatively. So, well, I'm just so fortunate to have both you on here today, but that, that's a storyline that Perva, I know you and I were kind of chatting about beforehand. And I think in general, people are so, wanting to be partnering just seems like it's the new buzzword or everybody really wants to, to have a partner, right? If you don't have a partner, you feel like, you know, what, what are you doing out there? And so, you know, I kind of want to know how did you and Jack meet? Honestly, I don't really know that story. And, and then also, you know, what about each other's backgrounds? Did you really think, Hey, this is something worth investing in long-term that we think we can actually grow together? Yeah. Yeah. So th- throughout my, I guess my entire real estate history and background, right? I've always had partners. Uh, I've, I've never wanted to do this just by myself. And, and the reason being, right, I am that engineer, I have that W-2 job, and it becomes very difficult. Whether you're flipping houses, wholesaling, you're building a business, right? And for me, it was, hey, let's rely on folks that you know are smarter than me or, or on the same page and understand that same wavelength and kind of build around that. So, so for Jack and I, right, so for, for me back in the day, you know, when, when I was flipping houses and, and really didn't have anything, it, it, I, I, my roommates as my partners at the, at the time. So for when I first moved down to North Carolina, I basically said, hey, you know, I just want to buy a house, you know, something simple. Uh, so buy a house, rent it out with a couple of roommates and, and you know, pay the mortgage. Very simple, uh, you know, in, in the sense of real estate. So those roommates actually became my business partners for this wholesale and flipping business. And, you know, we did a number of deals. We started building up our capital stack. And, you know, I, I had the, the vision of, hey, I always want to do multifamily. I always want to continue to grow because my, my family's background, they do real estate as well. They convert office buildings um, into luxury condos, and and they've done basically the entire realm of real estate. And I didn't want I, I didn't want to be a part of that business, but I wanted to create my own central portfolio. And when you know those partners were great and everything, but ultimately our end goal was multifamily, and they didn't see that. Right. So for for us, you know, Jack, I met him because I was like, well, for me, I was out on my own. I was trying to find multifamily deals and try to get into mobile home parks and see, you know, what, what, are, what are the different niches that I can uh, be a part of? So funny story, I, I meet uh, Jack on Connected Investors and I'm trying, I'm over there trying to wholesale, uh, I think it was 40 units or something like that to, to, to Jack. And, and Jack's just trying to learn as well on the multifamily side of it since he, his background was the single family and he, his mindset was the same. Hey, I, single family is great. But we want to we want to get to that economies of scale and and build that business and not just be hey I'm doing one house here one house over there and and you know sure it's great money but let's let's make this more of a passive but a intuitive business for ourselves and our family. I, I give Jack all the paperwork. I'm like hey you know Jack you want to you want to uh, you want to buy this deal and he's like you know this deal is great 
but why don't we do this deal together? And I said, yeah, let's, let's do it. I want to take it down just as much as you do. I mean, we, we started working through the numbers and, you know, as, as we started doing our due diligence, unfortunately that deal didn't work out, but Jack and I stayed in touch. And this is what uh, a number of years ago at this point, probably uh, about three, three, four years ago at this point. And we were like, okay, well, why don't we look for a deal together? Let's find that multifamily deal that makes sense for the both of us or a mobile home park deal, excuse me, a mobile home park deal that does make sense. And that was our you know, first deal in Zebulon, North Carolina. We, we took down uh, 39 units and, and we're like, okay, this is the first deal. We're, this is how we're going to test our partnership, see if we're on the same page. You know, Jack was really, really good on the, the underwriting side of understanding, hey, this is what the banks are going to be looking at. For me, I was like, well, this is what we're going to be looking at when we're in the deal and kind of setting up those processes on that side. So, you know, that's really how, how this business basically started. And, and since then we've doubled, tripled uh, every year since, <laughs> since then. Yeah, that's awesome. And so one of the things about that deal, and obviously I know it more intimately just because I know you guys personally, but, you know, I think one thing, and Jack, I'm kind of curious, I know we've talked about this a lot around the debt side, you know, so I saw a deal come across my desk in the last couple of weeks and, you know, I think that's one of the challenges a lot of folks are going to run into, you know, not necessarily today, but in a couple of years, if they're looking to exit, I'm seeing a lot of people like kind of assuming that debt is going to be there and it's going to be as available as it is today. And I know, you know, just in conversations you and I had around financing a mobile home park, it's a lot more difficult than people realize, right? You know, and that's why, you know, on the mobile home park side, a lot of times there's more of these larger funds, you know, that just are deploying this capital, right? Instead of having to go to the actual lending institution and get it done. And so, the particular deal that I'm looking at, there's a prohibitive amount of yield maintenance, right? They put 12-year debt on this thing. They had two years of IO. They burned through it. They haven't got their NOI anywhere near where they need it to be. And now the person's got to take over this debt with over a million dollar balance and a 5% plus interest rate, right? You know, and in the current environment, interest rates are in the mid threes or even below, you know, depending on the environment, the size of the deal and, and the market that you're in. And so I think that's a really interesting take. And I think that's one thing that I really respect about your background is you really look at the debt and really have a good idea of understanding how it aligns with the business plan. And I think so many times people define the business plan and then just try to shoehorn the debt in there to make to make it work, right? So so what was the financing process like? And I know it was super simple, right? <laughs> and, and how'd you guys finally get it across the line with that first deal? Yeah, the first deal was extremely difficult. I can, like, but it was a, such a great learning experience for both provider and I. Like you said, like mobile home part is so different back then. Like right now it's a lot easier to finance. Still difficult, but you know, a lot easier compared with many years ago. I think the first deal we approach, uh, I would say like 10 plus, almost like 20 lenders just to get it, get the lender to be interested because that particular deal was very complicated because if you understand mobile home part, there's the mobile home that you actually own by the landlord and the homes that's owned by the tenants. So this particular park has both and also it has a single family piece. And um, just from the kind of from the from outside, when you kind of physical physical condition, it doesn't look very good. So a lot of lenders just kind of drove by there, like uh, what what the heck? <laughs> but we we I think as investor, we need to understand what's the you know the actual value. You know what's the potential. That's what we were able to find. That we see that value. We see the potential that we can turn around, and then just 
adding value on top of that. So Apparel and I has kind of the same vision. For me, that was kind of my first commercial deal. If I were just want to understand based on the picture, I would probably say no. It's just something that's not very appealing to me. But from the number perspective, it was very good. Yeah, but you know, like I said, the the first financing, the first deal that we tried to finance was very difficult. Like we just kind of have to keep trying and keep trying, and we just there were so many no's that we had to you know to be listened to, but we just kind of keep trying. Yeah, and like to to piggyback off of that, I mean, to a lot of your listeners, I mean, I'm I'm sure they're gonna they're they're probably in the same boat. You know, they they've they're new to either commercial investing or, or residential or whatever. You know, they're trying to get into real estate. They're gonna hear a lot of no's, and just because you hear a no, I I personally I I, I will never accept the no. I will ask, okay, why? You know, why are we? Why why, why don't you guys want to do this? You know, whether it's a bank or or investor or whoever it is, and and take that feedback, internalize it, really reflect on why that's happening, and then iterate. So you know, the first five banks who we want to approach, they're like right off the bat, no. Where and then we we'd ask why, what's going on. They, and it was a lot of a lot of that was around the financials because it was a mom and pop owner. Their financials weren't really there. They they didn't under you know they they were overpaying for things from like uh, I remember looking at the the PNL. I think it was like painting one bathroom was like five hundred dollars. And you know especially in a mobile home, right? Well, while it, you know even even in my personal home, I, I don't think I'm going to spend five hundred dollars to paint 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 it. But because of, you know, the, the Jack's background and our background and my background from understanding the numbers perspective, we were able to recreate that entire PNL to reflect what truly is happening and what's just considered CapEx because the, the, the previous owner was putting everything in just the repairs. So even though you might be making 200000 in your, your gross income, your NOI is looking closer to, you know, 40000 which... Obviously, from a bank's perspective, if you're looking at a million plus dollar deal, that that doesn't look very attractive. Um, so for for us, you know, it was understanding that, taking those pieces and bringing it back to the lenders and continuing to iterate our process when approaching them, and that's basically what led to success on that first deal from the financial. Excuse me, from the financial perspective. That's so weird, an uh, engineer doing a root cause analysis on uh, <laughs> on how things are going to work out. No, I, I love that. I mean, I think that's just the you know the nature of any of this, right? You know, we're all kind of just fumbling through, and anything that we're looking to succeed in is going to be new to us, right? So we're going to have to ask those questions and really understand why. And I just love your point about really trying to understand why they said no instead of just okay, like I'll just keep banging my head against the wall and just walk on to the next one, right? Because I think that's especially for folks that are looking to break in or are becoming more competent on the commercial side, you know, it is really more like a business conversation instead of like, hey, you know, Perv is a good guy, he's got a good job, makes good money, you know, they really want to understand the, the business plan and, and how you guys are going to implement that. And then of course your track record, which is very difficult to build upon until you have one. Right. And that's again, why partnering and, you know, if you do have more capital or if you have partners that you can bring in to, to help on those type of scenarios. So, well, so mobile home parks have kind of been the darling over the last like 18 months. And, you know, obviously apartments are, are really hot right now too, but I think 
they had been, whereas mobile home parks have come in a little bit more into focus. So you guys were kind of ahead of this curve a little bit, right? I mean, this is a couple of years ago, you guys are looking to acquire this park. So, so why mobile home parks, obviously high level, they have kind of a, you know, a dirty or, you know, trailer trash type type vibe. And, and we all know the affordable housing crisis in the U S and, you know, I, I Personally, I think they're a great opportunity for folks to provide, you know, an actual detached living situation, right? With a plot, with a little plot of land, you know. So, so why did you guys even become attracted to mobile home parks in the first place when they had this societal kind of a scarlet letter on them? Because they're a contrarian investment. <laughs> no, no, so, love so, it. <laughs> yeah, no. So, so, so I, I 100% agree with you, right? The societal piece of it is is huge, but. Both Jack and I, our background, you know, we 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 really came from nothing, right? So like when when I was in college, I, I was living on a on a couch for a little bit, and and when I was when I even when I moved down here for my full time job, it wasn't it wasn't very nice, uh, <laughs> nice living. And when I, especially being in Raleigh, being you know in North Carolina, there there's definitely a shortage of that type of housing from the the affordable housing side of it. And and sure, you can get like a a really crummy apartment and and it it's not going to be safe it's not you know there, there's a lot of different things that are happening there so for jack and i we were like well what is going to give our investors and us great returns and how can we also give back to those communities that we invest in and that was exactly this mobile home park right that we were like okay it looks crummy how do we want to make it better safer and really provo- provide that affordable housing that everyone talks about, right? There's all these negative connotations. Yeah, you could be a slumlord. You could do all these different things and not repair things for, for tenants. And they're just going to live in it because they have nowhere else to go. That's not our approach. You know, while that may be some investors, sure, that's that's one, one side of it. But I, I know plenty of mobile home park investors at this point who are like, I really, truly believe I want to create this safe environment for, for these other people. While, while Jack and I are blessed to, to uh, of course, get to where we are now, that wasn't the case before. And, you know, we've lived in those spots where it wasn't safe. And we wanted to make sure our communities, we, f- we personally feel safe living in them. If, if we don't feel that way, we're not going to invest in it. And we're not, we're, we're not going to be comfortable visiting those communities and, and, and being there and, and being with those tenants. From a safety perspective, I mean, because that's, that's such an important piece. And I think that's just overall, you know, obviously the investing is great. And obviously, you know, we're all trying to make returns and make our lives better personally. But being able to actually implement changes that make the lives of the tenants better, obviously, you know, there's some financial incentive on both sides, right? But so when you look at a park or safety, how do you really define that? Is that really around the crime statistics? And, and how do you know it's not just a couple bad apples in regards to tenants or uh, homeowners in those instances versus, you know, the area just is, you know, maybe an area that's just not worth the time from an investment perspective? Yeah, maybe I can kind of add a little bit on that. Um, so I kind of... A- so when I was investing in single family, I kind of invest in class C, class B-ish, you know, neighborhood and Aperva flips in those class C neighborhood as well. So we're pretty familiar with those type of demographics. Uh, so we understand what we are dealing with, you know, what kind of potential risk. So it's all about risk assessment. So I think, yeah, definitely we look at the crime rate. You know, we want to understand, you know, if it's a really high crime area or not but sometimes you know it's it can very the, the crime could be very different from neighborhood to or from street to street so we just kind of want to truly understand and 
also do kind of the on-site visits, you know, just at different times of the day, you know, just to see if we feel comfortable. And also the other metrics I will look at is kind of occupancy. Usually if I see a community that has higher occupancy, I, I feel a lot comfortable because it usually means there's a lot of demands and usually, you know, you can have, you can be more selective in terms of your, your residents. So, so these are kind of the high level things we look at. Well, and I mean, I, I like the fact, I mean, when you talk about due diligence and I think it means something to so many different, you know, different things to so many different people, but I mean, the fact you're actually showing up at the park at different times of day, you know, I mean, really getting a feel and a vibe for, you know, in the morning, in the midday, you know, how many, how many cars are still in the parking lot, you know, kind of thing. And then in the evenings, you know, what's the environment like, you know, are people throwing big parties and just throwing trash everywhere? Or is it a place where, you know, people are respectful of their neighbors and, you know, everybody can have a good time or whatever. Right. But you want to treat the property in a way that you'd actually want to live there. And I, I think that's so, so important. And I think that's one thing that so many people gloss over. And especially when people kind of just, I feel like nowadays almost close their eyes and just throw darts, you know, at a map of the U S and like, Oh, I'm going to invest in Missouri. Now I'm going to invest in Maine. Now I'm going to invest in California or whatever the case is. And, you know, so one thing that you guys have really done is really dug your heels in kind of to this Southeast area and primarily North Carolina, but you know, what's kind of driven you guys to focus strictly in, in one area instead of kind of having that FOMO and, you know, and trying to grow and scale as far and wide as you can. Yeah. So one of the big, I mean, for our underwriting criteria, location is literally the biggest thing. So for us, we want to feel comfortable that we can either get on a flight or, or drive there very quickly in the event there, there is something that has to happen immediately. At the same time, we're building processes around our property managers and then promoting them into regional property managers as we're continuing to grow. All right. So the big thing here was... For the Southeast, we're based in Raleigh and Cary, North Carolina, and we understand the markets here. So Raleigh, obviously, super hot, Fayetteville, different different areas in North Carolina, we understand. We started expanding to Virginia. We're looking at South Carolina. We're looking at different major metro areas and the outskirts of that, where these affordable housing communities could be a commuter area. And and so for us, that that was like the, the major... Um, contributor. I mean, both Jack and I have invested in states that are not in the Southeast. You know, I've done deals in Michigan. Jack's done deals in Tennessee. Um, I've done. We've also invested in Texas, where where you know major areas. But at, at at the same time, we're like, well, let's. I'd rather have a little bit more control of what's happening on those assets and make sure we're able to build operations, not just from a uh, investment perspective, but build it like regionally. So that way it continues to expand. And eventually our goal is to continue to expand into other states throughout the Southeast and even to the Northeast, right? It just, it's, it's more of an organic growth for our business. Well, and so one thing you talked about is kind of these regional property managers or park managers and things of that sort. So, you know, majority of folks are really more apt on the multifamily side and it's like, oh, okay, I'll just outsource everything. Right. You know I mean? I've even seen organizations outsource asset management. So it's like, well, really, what are you even doing? You know, at this point, like how well do you understand the asset? You're just delegating every responsibility. And so uh, for folks out there that aren't as familiar with mobile home parks, so, you know, can you kind of walk through the progression? I mean, so you guys bought this 39 unit pad house conglomerate, you know, uh, a couple of years ago. And now as you kind of scale, 
what's the process for managing a park? I mean, you know, you've got maybe a community manager or, uh, you know, an onsite manager, but then as you scale, can you kind of lead folks to understand how you actually manage parks and as you're building a portfolio, what that really looks like? Yeah. So a lot, a lot of it, well, well, I'll start with how we started slowly, right? So we, we, we bought that thir- the, the 39 units and for that community that already had a property manager that was there, but that property manager wasn't trained. She, she was a tenant who was there and just doing what the, the previous owner would tell her. And there wasn't really that critical thinking going on, on saying, okay, well, just because the owner says this, is that, is that correct? Or is that not correct? You know, what's the, what's the best for the community? And for us, we wanted to train right off the bat. We trained that property manager. We spent basically three months trying to tell her, Hey, this is, this is the way to do this. These are the different notices. This is what happens when someone doesn't pay rent or, or if there's this violation and, and kind of create it really slowly, especially since it was our, our first park, we were learning a lot during that process as well. And a lot of it was making sure those those property managers are well-trained for what we expect them to do. And, and we had a list of responsibilities and told them, hey, this is this is what we're expecting of you. And, and uh, if this is not what you want to do, right, then then uh, then let us know. And, and it was a little bit of a give and take, right? So for 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 uh, so, some folks are aren't, you know, they don't they're they don't don't have like the the cell phones and, and the computers and the printers and things like that, right? So there was a little bit of give and take and understanding what they can do and what they cannot do. And then, so scaling up. So we that's one property. And then for us, as we continue to buy more and more in that similar location, we, we figured out, okay, who is the strongest property manager in that region within you know, 30, 30 minutes to an hour of that location? We would basically promote them into that regional property manager, where basically all of the tenant complaints or, or any issues with the prop, the community managers that live on site go to that person. And then if it's something serious, you know, because that person's already trained, they understand what our expectations are in front in terms of you know, in the event there's this tenant issue, she knows how to respond back to that other community manager. So it doesn't have to really come back to us. So it's really a lot, a lot of it was just built basically training and continuing to iterate that process. And even for us, I mean, to, to this day, right, we're still learning. We're still trying to figure out how to make this thing into as easy as possible. I mean, just yesterday I was talking with Jack. I was like, well, there's 16 hours of tasks that we're doing this month uh, or monthly every month that, that we need to automate. So, I mean, that's, that's something that we we're, we're, we're passionate about and we want to, we want to make this thing as easy as possible. Absolutely. Well, and I kind of wanted to use that to piggyback off. I mean, because you're like talking about processes and procedures. And and so I think one thing that people struggle with sometimes is really outlining the skills that they've created, be it through, you know, just organic personal growth, their W-2 job, their school, things like that. So, so what was it? I mean, what's it like? I know you're still working full time and I know Jack was just until recently. So, but I mean, a lot of this growth has happened while you guys are working. So how do you kind of juggle that working full-time is so many people are kind of in that realm to kind of being able to transition to the point where, you know, in Jack's case, he's, he's left, you know, corporate full-time now and, and focusing on this. So, so what's that progression like and, and how were you guys able to, to make that happen, working the job, building this portfolio, and then ultimately getting to, to where you guys want to be? Yeah, I think I can um, kind of, kind of share a little bit of my experience. I think that for me, I have a very clear goal, I kind of like an angle where I want to be. So I just kind of work 
try to figure out how to get there. For me, it was finding the right partner because I recognized where I was lack of and I recognized the strengths with the partnership. And I think that was the right decision for me. But, you know, it can be every everyone is a little bit different. You know, some people might be able to do it by themselves. But I do feel having the right partner can speed up the process. So, yeah, for, for me, it's like we I want to I, I kind of write some goal at early of the year. You know, this is kind of the amount of cash flow I want to hit before I can start thinking about the next step and then the next step, kind of like that. So it's kind of like the step-by-step process. So, yeah, that, that, that was kind of my experience. But so the one thing, I, and I mean, me personally, you know, the kind of feelings that I had was it's easy to write down on a piece of paper. Hey, once I have this much cash flow, you know, once I have a portfolio of this size or whatever the case is, but there's still that point in your head. You're like, well, is this, is this silly? Like, am I doing something crazy here? You know, I've got a pretty good situation. And I think that's what a lot of people struggle with is this is good enough, right? Hey, like I'm happy society proclaims me as successful, you know, whatever, whatever that is, you know, and and again, but deep down we know, Hey, you know, there's more, I've got more to give. I want to have more control. I really truly believe that I can take things farther than if I do, you know, that if I'm confined by this kind of, you know, normal, the circumstance that majority of folks find themselves in. So what was the actual transition like, you know, where you finally said, Hey, you know, I'm done, you know, like I, I feel comfortable enough and my mindset's in a place where, you know, I'm not concerned about what the downside risk will be or, you know, that I'm confident enough that I can overcome what whatever's thrown at me. So I was in a mastermind. So I was kind of surrounded by people who already left their W2 job and also their entrepreneur already. So before that, I don't really believe that's possible, but I I feel like surrounded by the people that where you want to be is very important because you can see that's actually possible and you can actually believe that. So for me, I think that that was, that was, that was a really big impact to me. And so in terms of when I feel, you know, kind of the time I feel like, Hey, this is it. <laughs> you know, I can do this. I feel it was just kind of personally, I, you know, I wasn't really happy at my W2, to be honest, I, I was doing fine, you know, but I don't really see, I there's more potential for me to do more. So I, I've, and I, I don't really have that passion and, anymore. So that, that was kind of the, the, the turning point for me say, Hey, that this is it. <laughs> I want to do real estate. No, absolutely. Well, and, and honestly, the conversation that you and I had, I mean, a couple of years ago about that, you know, you were one of the people that, you know, I'm, I, I'm in, I was in sales. So, you know, you just kind of assume sales is kind of, you just get, you know, punched in the gut constantly, right? It's just, you know, you're, you're used to the negativity and the more no's than yeses and the ups and downs of the income and everything. And so after we had had that conversation, that was kind of enlightening to me. Cause I'm like, you know, these careers, you know, software developer, data scientist, electrical engineer, attorney, doctor, you know, you talk to these people that you're like, Hey, they, they have these careers or these paths that again, society tells us that are aspirational and, you know, hearing you kind of say, Oh, you know, I mean, it, it's not as fun and sexy as being a data scientist seems, you know, like, I mean, it's just as corporate and monotonous in in a lot of other roles. And I think, you know, a lot of times we build up these things that aren't within our lives, you know? And so for me, that was just such a, you know, light bulb moment kind of hearing you say that. Cause again, being in staffing and recruiting at the time, it was like, you know, data science, like that's, you know, that's the bleeding edge. Right. And again, 
it, you just realized for you personally that it wasn't what you wanted and it didn't fill your bucket and motivate you the way that it did. So one thing about surrounding yourself with the right people, and I think that's so important. And so, again, that's one thing that I feel I see a lot of people struggle with and I see them kind of going around in circles, right? Cause there's a thousand meetups and, you know, there's a million networking events and, you know, and actually we met through bigger pockets, right. You know, so, I mean, there, there's definitely some positives, but I, I kind of, I'm curious the group that you chose, because I think I see a lot of people go into the same networking events, the same, you know, things. And it's just like, well, what's your outcome that you're expecting? So, so what, what direction did you finally go? And, you know, why did you decide that that group was, was right for you and, and got you to actually that, you know, thought process where you are at today? Yeah, for me, the, so there, there were like probably a hundred or thousands of, you know, these type of mastermind out there and, some some of them charge a lot. Sometimes they don't charge a lot. So it it all comes down to me. So I first learned of this group. This is called Go Abundance. I first learned it from bigger pockets from Brendan Turner. He always talked about you know he learned so much from this group, and I was just super curious about it. And uh, so they have this kind of interview process when you talk to one of their members, and then I just ask a bunch of questions. And at the end of the day, it's kind of like a leap of faith, kind of like a, I treat like a partnership. I partnership with this group, like with Aperva, I, I take a leap of faith with Aperva because I feel we have the same vision and same as this group. I, I feel like I have the same vision. I feel like that's, these are the type of people, the group of people I, I want to be, you know, I'm not there yet, but I, I want to be there. So I just kind of try and it kind of worked out. It completely changed my mindset. And also I met a lot of people, a lot of good, you know, really very intelligent people and good networking. Yeah. So that was kind of just kind of my decision. <laughs> yeah. What's the thought process with spending mm-hmm. money? Because I think a lot of us, you know, especially when you attain a certain level of Mm-hmm. income or you you know you kind of like well you know i'm successful like why do i need to pay to join this group like you know i'm good like i don't need other people and especially i don't need to pay for it you know i'll just kind of organically build this network but so what was it that really pushed you to that next level where you're like you know this is really worth investing you know this is an investment it's not a cost this is an investment into and again getting you where you are today yeah i think you're spot on because i treat like an investment of myself you can invest in anything stock real estate but this is basically invest your own mind basically you know it, it changed it's, it's like an education for me so i basically treat it like an investment but i it's kind of x amount of return can be zero can be something i don't know but i just need to put in effort uh, so that's kind of how, how I treated at the beginning. And also, I feel like if I invest in something, if I, you know, put in money in something, I will take it more seriously than, you know, without doing anything. So that's also one thing that I, I, I can make sure myself actually, you know, putting some effort. Just like anything, right? Skin in the game, right? You know, as an investor, you want as a passive investor, you want to see the the operators, the GPs, you know, putting some money in the deal, and and same thing, you know. And I think that's kind of one of the challenges I see some people kind of you know spinning around the bowl a little bit, going to these different virtual networking events, and they're fine, right? But as long as you have a plan of action of what you're going to do, right? You know, are you, are you looking for deal flow? If you are, 
you know, virtual networking event probably isn't going to be the place that you're going to get deal flow. If you're looking for partners, hey, you know, that could be good, but really be intentional about how you're going about these things. And I think so many people just kind of get caught up and then it's like, hey, everybody's going to these events. This is great. You know, and I think that was one of my challenges just in in person or virtual networking events was you had to be very intentional. You know, after a while, it was like, I'm just not seeing the return. You know, it takes time and, you know, and and it's fun to network with people. But at the same time, if, if there's not a return there and to your point, once you actually invested and paid it, you know, some money, you're like, Hey, I got to take this seriously and I've got to get the most out of this for sure. So, and I I feel like the, Oh, sorry to cut you off there, but I also think that the big thing is also surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals or, or even people who, who are okay with, you know, telling you, Hey, you're wrong. You need to do this or, or, you know, learning from those individuals. If you're going to be hanging out with people who are consistently negative and saying, Oh, you can't do that. You can't invest in multifamily. You're not smart enough or, you know, what, you know, putting you down, right. Those are, those are obviously continuously negative thoughts and, if people are always telling you that you're going to eventually believe it. Right. So for me, it was a big thing was cutting those people out folks that, that just don't believe in our vision or, or saying, Oh, you're not going to be a millionaire or whatever, you know, societal things that, that, you know, they may not believe in for us. It, uh, that's why I was like, with Jack, Jack and I felt the same way. We're like, we don't need to be super flashy about what we have, but it's also about how, you know, do, are we on that same wavelength? Are we on that same mindset of, of partnership? And, you know, we've, we've partnered with folks that, that originally we, we were, we thought we were, we thought we were on the same wavelength, but people change, right. Things, things like that, it's inevitable. It happens. And, and for, for us, it was okay. Well, that's, that's fine. You know, that, that specific partnership may not have worked out. Person's a great individual, but that's fine. Let's, let's either buy them out or, you know, cut, 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 that tie from a business perspective, right? So that, that, that was very, very important. Mindset's huge, especially in this business. And as, as we continue to scale and continue to build, build, uh, build a, a larger uh, successful business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, last thing I wanted to touch on here is, you know, one thing I think you guys have done a good job of that I respect from outsider looking in is you kind of, you kind of, you know, it was a very iterative process, right? Hey, let's get this one park under our belt. Okay. Let's add this park. Let's add this park. Right. And you've, Hey, let's bring on some passives. Okay. Let's, let's eventually syndicate a deal. And, you know, I think so many people just jump straight into syndication without really understanding the ramifications from a legal perspective, from an SEC perspective, you know, from so many different directions, right? It just, it's the buzzword that so many people have heard and, and they're like, Hey, I can buy a hundred million dollar building and I don't need any money. And I just need to know a couple of people with, you know, some money. So, so what was the process like? And, and what did you guys really learn from this most recent deal where you guys actually ran it as a syndication? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I certainly believe in organic growth for, for, for all of us, right. For, I mean, for us, we, we, we started slowly, understood how the operations work, how everything slowly, you know, the cost basis of items, and then also building those relationships with brokers and, and individuals that will continue to help support this business. But, you know, I, I, I listen to folks on Clubhouse and all these different you know, podcasts and folks that go to zero to 100 real quick. And they're like, I, I had an individual ask me, he's like, hey, how do you, how do you like, I've, I've never done any real estate, but I heard you don't need any money. Just, just to your point, John, right? <laughs> he's like, I, I want to buy this 100 unit apartment complex and, and uh, I, I think it's going to be all right. I'm like, well, do you, do you know how much it costs to, to, to hire a property manager? Do you know your staffing? And especially at 100 units, do you, do you know what the, the ins and outs of it are? And he's like, no, like, I need to know that. <laughs> I'm like, so, so 
those are the thing, you know, while I love, you know, some people go to zero to a hundred and they're super successful and that's awesome for us. We thought, okay, especially if we're going to be syndicating capital and we're taking on other people's money, I want to treat it as my own, right? Because I personally don't want to lose any money in any of the deals that we're in for, for all of our investors. Right. I mean, we're, we're super, you know, we, we tell them day in, day out, we're like, we're invested in this deal just as much as you are, whether it be our personal capital or, um, just the fact that we want to see this thing to be as successful as possible. So for us, it was really just organically trying to step by step by step. So we, you know, we, we, we had this one mobile home park deal, like you said, and we, we put in our own personal cash that gave us the fundamentals of learning exactly how this thing works. We were able to build to buy a 72 unit, buy 92 units, buy, you know, continue to expand. And that, that was our, basically our way of learning and also building out that, you know, just building that, that business that our investors also feel comfortable with. Absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, well, I appreciate you guys taking the time to, to sit down and kind of pull back the veil a little bit of, you know, what this, what this growth has looked like and the successes that you had uh, have had, but let's wrap up with uh, the contrarian three pack here. So uh, you guys can both jump in. I know Perva, you already kind of mentioned it, but is, is there one <laughs> investment in particular that you guys kind of stand out in your minds? That's maybe a little bit more contrarian. Uh, you know, I guess we could use mobile home park. Maybe is there anything else that that's kind of a little bit out there that you guys have invested in before? Yeah, I, I guess I, I use mobile home parks as, as that example because from you know me, me being originally from New York and, and Long Island, mobile home parks aren't aren't like a normal thing. And especially you know I, the first time I told my wife, I was like, "Hey, we're gonna buy mobile home parks." She's like, "What are you What are you talking about?" <laughs> you know, like, "Are you sure?" And and that was you know there's a lot of questions around that, and, and even from my friends and 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 family, they're like, "What are you guys doing?" Like, mobile home park is a that's not a thing, and it, but that that's because they've never seen you know never been part of that business, and and for us, you know, while it's a contrarian investment for some people, you know, that's that's their normal day lives, like day now. We're like. I can't imagine trying to buy anything else outside of mobile home parks and apartment complexes. But yeah, I mean, that, that, that for us was probably the, the, the number one contrarian uh, investment. Uh, what about you, Jack? I mean, was, there, was there anything that you, you saw? Yeah, most of my investment are in real estate. And I do have an escape room. Uh, it's kind of contrarian-ish, I guess. That's kind of the only thing I can think of. <laughs> Well, thankfully with those, I've always been able to make my way out. So I've not been stuck in an escape room before. I know I'm still yet to visit yours, so I still need to do that. But uh, I, I, yeah, I think that's pretty cool. I mean, I think it's interesting to kind of just diversify income streams just because you never know when when things are going to happen or, you know, crazy things out of your control end up changing them. So well, I know we talked a lot about business, your guys' backgrounds, but uh, outside of investing in business and all this stuff, what do you guys like to do for fun with friends and family? I, I love sports, you know, play basketball. I play basketball, but you know, since COVID haven't played for, <laughs> but uh, I try to do kind of running, you know, once or twice a, a week, you know, just stay in shape. And I, I love trouble, but you know, again, COVID, but hopefully things will kind of be a little bit better so I can start traveling again. Yeah. And, and for me, it was, uh, it was, it was, it's travel. I mean, I love traveling. Um, my, my wife's a, an avid traveler even before we met and she, she kind of got me onto that bug. And then, uh, you know, I love snowboarding and wakeboarding. Those are the the two main things that I'm like, Oh, I, I can do this any, any time of the year, obviously. But, uh, those are the things outside of business that, that kind of get, get my mind right. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Travels, travels a big one. And I mean, yeah, hopefully sooner rather than later, things will kind of start becoming a little bit more simple and uh, you know, we'll all just uh, be waiting for that day. So I know you talked about the community involvement and everything, but, but what, what does offer you guys the most fulfillment from, you know, from life? Yeah, for, for, for me, it was really seeing the entire process while I'm sure everyone in the real estate game is like, yeah, I love making money. And, and that's great. But it's also the, the big thing was understanding how it impacts, you know, how, how all these different things we're doing impacts the lives of others. All right. So for us, you know, we, 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 we actively spend time with our property managers and, and, and tell them, you know, Hey, if there's people who need help and I know COVID hit and there's a lot of folks that, that struggled to pay rent, we, we gave a lot of uh, reprieves and, and, and told them, Hey, waive all the late fees, waive everything that, that we can to, to help support obviously our business, but also help the tenants who may have lost their jobs or may have struggled in, in some way. So uh, a lot of it was trying to give back some, some time as well, you know, in the event that they're having trouble with budgeting comes, you know, let's see how we can support them and, and building out a model for them or, or seeing, you know, how we can continue to support, support our tenants in the communities. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that's such a, such a powerful point. And I think that's the the good side of, of investing that you can really invest back in the communities and make the lives of, of those individuals better, right? You know, by just, in my opinion, doing the right thing, you know, fixing things when they're broken yeah. and giving them living conditions that, you know, somebody can be proud of. And like you said, safe living conditions. I know you guys touched upon that a lot, but just making sure that they're, that they have a clean and safe environment to live within. And, you know, I truly believe everybody does deserve that. So, ah, well, I really appreciate the time. This has been awesome guys. What's, what's the best way that folks can check out what you're working on? Maybe it's any upcoming deals. How can folks get in touch with you out there? Yeah. So, so definitely connect with us on, on LinkedIn. So I'm Purva Shah, A-P-U-R-V-A, Shah, S-H-A-H. And then also, um, uh, reach out to us on our website and there's contact us button on jaysinvestments.com. So um, definitely two, two great ways to, to, to connect with us. Absolutely. And, and that's J-A-Y-S, right? J-A-Y-S investments.com. Correct. Hopefully the audience can spell investments out there, but at least Jay's just wanted to, <laughs> to spell that out there for him. So, all right, guys, we're looking forward to where you guys take things here in the future and keep crushing it and keep doing the right thing. Appreciate the time. Thank you, John. All Thank right. You. Thanks, John. Until next time. Live fulfilled. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.